The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. So if you have your Bibles or your uh, apps on your telephone or device, John chapter 20, you can pull out your phone, that's okay. If you get bored, you can look at Facebook for the next half an hour. Don't pretend you don't do that. I can see with my one good eye. Okay. So John chapter 20 is where we are, and uh, this is our 39th message in John's gospel. Next week, we have the privilege of having my good friend Stuart Briscoe back with us, and so if you've not heard Stuart, you're in for a treat. He's got that lilting British accent and is 86 years old, still preaching the gospel. Then I'll come up the following week and wrap up the gospel of John for us. So uh, that's where we're headed in the next few days. Then we'll do Christmas, and then in the springtime, we're going to be looking at uh, relationships within the family and within the body of Christ. So that's where we'll be for the next several weeks. My uh, sister sent to me, you guys know I grew up in New Orleans, and uh, I'm a football fan, and so I am a bandwagon Dallas Cowboys New Orleans Saints fan. Whoever's winning, I'm cheering for them, okay? So that means for the last 10 years, I've been cheering for the Saints. Uh, just the way it is. So I, I want to cheer for the Cowboys too, but they disappoint me week after week, but uh, that's just the way it goes. So, so my sister sent to me a Facebook thing, and it said, you're, you're going uh, to look at this because it has to do with religious misunderstanding. Uh, there was a test given to some parochial students last week, and uh, the test uh, began with, who built the ark? And it said Noah. And then there were other questions. One is, who wrote the Gospels? And uh, the kid did Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Juan, actually, is what it said on the thing. And then the next question was, name one saint, and the answer was Drew Brees. I mean, that's just great, isn't it? I mean, here's this kid that uh, the one saint he remembers is Drew Brees. Well, we don't want any misunderstanding to take place today because this is important. We're going to talk about the foundation of the Christian life. We're going to talk about why we're here. We're going to talk about why we just celebrate communion, why we sing songs, why you come to listen to somebody preach week after week. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if the resurrection is not true, then our faith is in vain. If there's no resurrection, we ought to be having brunch somewhere together. But if the resurrection is true, it changes everything. And John chapter 20 is a very familiar passage. I feel like I've preached it a hundred times. It's the Easter passage, one of the Easter passages. And I've been here for 37 Easter's. And so we look at that and we've looked at all these passages together. We've talked through the Gospel of John before. We've looked at various passages. But I hope when we look at it, we will not get over the fact that Jesus is alive. Every song we sang today had to do with our Savior. And so he's as much alive now as he was when he walked on this earth. In fact, more so as he sits at the right hand of the Father. And I don't want to misunderstand that. So I'm going to look at this passage a little different way. In the past, I've done things like evidences of the resurrection. We've looked at different characters of the resurrection. And uh, so I want to look at the first words spoken by Christ after the resurrection. First words spoken by Christ after his resurrection. Now, when Christ was on the cross, he spoke seven times. In fact, a number of years ago, I did a whole series on the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. The first one was when he looked at John and he looked at his mother Mary and he said, behold your mother and behold your son. Second saying from Christ on the cross was today, he turned to the thief on the cross and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The third saying from Christ on the cross was father, what? Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. And he was looking at the crowd that was there. 
The fourth saying, he looked up to heaven and he spoke out of his humanity saying, I thirst. The fifth saying from the cross was, my God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. The sixth saying from the cross was, tetelestai, translated, it is finished. And the final saying of Christ on the cross is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we've scrutinized that and studied those seven sayings over and over and over again. But now I want us to leap forward. And I want us to look at the resurrection through the sayings of Christ after he was alive. So we've looked at the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. And what I want to do today is look at the first words of Christ following his resurrection. The first words of our Savior. First words after the resurrection. John chapter 20 beginning in verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. So as she wept, this is not Mary, Jesus' mother, this is Mary Magdalene, by the way. She, as she wept, she stooped and looked inside the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white, one sitting at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, these angels said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. They've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they met him, where they laid him. Mary's life had been transformed. The scriptures tell us she was a demon-possessed woman. In fact, she was possessed by seven demons. She had those demons cast out of her by Christ. She now had hope. She now had dignity. She was now loved for the first time, perhaps, in her whole life. She was a transformed, changed woman. She had a reason to live. She had hope. But now that hope had been snuffed out. The hope that she once had was gone. Everything she had dreamed of has died. The flickering candle has been blown out. The pain has returned because Jesus was dead. The Jewish authorities turned him in. The Romans authorities crucified him. The disciples bailed out on him. Jesus was dead. And here is Mary, this woman who had been given all this hope, whose life had been miraculously transformed, and now she was hopeless again. Now she was in pain again. Now she didn't know exactly what to do with her life. And three days earlier, love had her at the foot of the cross and now love her brings her to the tomb. Her love for Christ brings her to his tomb. As she winds her way down this garden pathway, sun, the sun is just coming up. And through that gaze of light and darkness, as you know, early in the morning, she sees something horrendous has happened. The stone has been rolled away and somebody's taken his body. Jesus is not there. The tomb is empty. The tomb has been violated. And Mary, upon seeing the tomb is violated, says, they've taken my Lord. Notice her, her statement, my Lord there. They've taken him away. When, when she thought life could get no worse, it does. The dark night gets darker and the hopelessness is smothering her. She weeps uncontrollably. Twice in these verses, it says she weeps. If you look at verse 13, woman, why are you weeping? And, 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 it, it's, and then she goes on and says, in verse 15, Jesus says there, why are you weeping? So weeping is not something you control. Weeping is something that controls you. And so she is struggling. The first words of Jesus following his resurrection are words of comfort to one of his grieving followers, to one of his grieving friends. Jesus comes to Mary, if you look at verse 14 with me, when Mary had said this, she turned around and behold, Jesus was standing there and she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried Jesus away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Now, there are a couple of things you have to pick out in here. One of the questions that scholars ask is, why didn't Mary recognize Jesus? I submit to you. Some would say, well, he's got this resurrected, glorified body, so he doesn't look the same. Perhaps that's the case. Certainly could do things he didn't do before following the resurrection, like walk through walls, right? But I submit to you that if you see a man who was dead and he comes to you and he's alive, you're going to have a hard time recognizing him. I mean, all of a sudden she's there, she turns around, here's this person who looks like Jesus, but I mean, she's weeping, she's, her eyes are filled with tears, obviously, and she doesn't recognize him at all, and, and this was a guy who was dead three days ago, she's not looking for Jesus, she's looking for Jesus' dead body. But regardless of that, here's what we read. In his triumph over sin and death through the resurrection, Jesus could have gone to Herod's palace and knocked on the door and said, I'm back. He could have gone to Pilate and said, you shouldn't have washed your hands of this stuff. He could have gone to the praetorium where the Roman soldiers were that were guarding his tomb and who ran like, like, I mean, they just scattered to the backwoods. He could have gone to them and say, hey, it's me. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus comes to one who is hurting, one who is hopeless, one who seeks after him. In his great triumph, he didn't go to the rooftops of Jerusalem or or, or to to the top of the temple and shout his victory. But the first thing we see is a savior who goes to comfort one of his grieving followers. Isn't that like our savior? Isn't that like Jesus? I, I mean, here he is where he could have gone anywhere and done anything. He could have been scuttled anywhere he wanted to in a, in a flash, but he goes to where Mary is and he comforts his grieving follower. So if you're like Mary today, as many of us are or have been, you're in some kind of pain, pain of rejection, pain of divorce, pain of abuse, pain of addiction, pain of being misunderstood, the pain of disease, the pain of infertility, the pain of miscarriage, the, the pain of unforgiveness, the pain of parents who didn't love you well, the, the, the pain of being underappreciated or not appreciated at all, the pain of not being treasured by anyone special, the pain of having a prodigal son or daughter, the pain of being a prodigal right now. The Savior comes to you in that dark hour and he comes to comfort you like he did Mary. I just love that. Here's our Savior who could have gone anywhere to Herod, to Pilate, to the Roman soldiers, to the disciples who had scattered, but he goes to Mary who is hurting right now. Mary who's come to the tomb. The result of what she had, her hope was lost, her night was dark, her way was gone. I like what one author says. He says, you've been knocked down and are struggling to get up. Bitterness is making inroads into your life and dogging your every step. Your hope has evaporated. You've been robbed of joy. That's when Jesus comes to you. That's when he comes to you. Any bitterness out there? I love the story. Somebody sent me a number of years ago. I've used it before. An elderly woman, she struggled with bitterness. She had never been married. And so she wrote her pastor a note and said, when I pass away, read this before my service. So he opens up the letter after she uh, passed away and it said, uh, dear pastor, my one request is I have no male pallbearers. They wouldn't take me out when I was alive. They're not going to take me out when I'm dead. (laughs) That's some bitterness right there, right? 
Craigslist 2016 for sale, wedding dress, size six, worn once by mistake. There's some bitterness right there. Next time you feel like you've been robbed of joy, think about Ronald Wayne. Anybody recognize the name Ronald Wayne? Anybody? Nobody? Ronald Wayne's an interesting guy. You'll recognize his two business partners. One was a guy named Steve Jobs. You know him? Another guy was a, a guy whose uh, nickname was Waz. You remember him, Wozniak? They started Apple together. You see, the two young guys, Jobs and Waz, were college dropouts. You remember that? They were brilliant men, intellectual giants, but they were college dropouts. First was Ronald Wayne, who was an electronics specialist whose specialty was Atari game units. And so they knew he could do that, and they needed him to be able to design some stuff. So the three of them went into partnership for Apple together. Jobs had 45% of Apple. Waz had 45% of Apple. Ronald Wayne had 10% of Apple. They signed a contract. In fact, he had that contract, that original contract Ronald Wayne did for a number of years. Twelve days later, he realized he got cold feet. He realized if Apple didn't make it and there were any debts, he'd be responsible for it. He was the only one with a job. So 12 days after signing on for 10% of Apple, he backed out. Jobs and Waz bought him out for $800. On Friday, I looked it up, his 10% stake in Apple, you know what it would have been? 95B as in billion dollars. Next time you feel like your joy has been lost, think about Ronald Wayne. I mean, you read through that. Now, here's the good news about that guy. He's an interesting read. Uh, that original contract, he, he ended up struggling financially after that. Jobs and Waz did some nice things for him, but, but he ended up struggling financially after that. He had that original contract signed by the three of them. He sold that for $500 about 20 years ago. It exchanged hands on sale last uh, 2016. It sold for $1.3 million. He gave away 95 billion, 1.3, but he said, I'm happy, I'm happy. I, I look at that and recognize, you know, for a lot of us, we think, you know, happiness is a lottery ticket away, but it's not. Happiness comes when we know a savior. True joy comes from knowing him. So here's Jesus, resurrected from the dead, and who's he go to? A weeping, distraught, distracted follower. And he looks at her and he comforts her. And as I look at that, I think that's our savior. That's what he does. He comes to comfort those who are in need. He, he, he does that for you today too. In fact, it, it gets a little more personal than that. If you look at the next verse, Jesus said to her, Mary, don't miss that. He calls her by name. He, he could have said anything. But he calls her by name. She says, Rabbi. And so Jesus, in the midst of her grief and despair, says, Mary, it's me. The Savior wants to comfort you today. Whatever pain you bring to the table today, whatever struggle you might have, he comes to comfort you. First of all, he calls you by name. He says, John, Jimmy, Sue, Harry, Janie. I'm going to call you by name so you can know me personally. 
See, the resurrection has taken place. That means Jesus has defeated sin and death. And that means there's eternal hope and eternal life in him, not in any other way. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. But it's through Jesus, the resurrected Savior. He calls her by name. Sure, he knows him. She has eternal life. But he calls her by name to comfort her as well. Jesus calls your name for salvation. He calls your name for comfort. So we look at this and we recognize that that's a wonderful thing. But let me remind you, he comforts you not to make you comfortable. He comforts you so you can comfort others. If you don't believe me, read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That's what it says right there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the name of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us with all comfort so we may be a comfort to others. So let me put it this way. If you're a lady who's been through a miscarriage, what a great opportunity to pray that God would give you some other ladies who've been through that. You're a lady who's been through an abortion and sought forgiveness for that. What greater thing than to go minister to somebody who's gone through that? You're a dude who has deserted a woman in the past and now you walk with Christ and you recognize the, the way you went. What, what great opportunity for you to come alongside a guy and let me bring that over and over and over. Whatever it is you have been through, that's a great opportunity for you to begin to reach out to those who've been through that so you can comfort them with the comfort you've received. Amen? Most of us, we just want to be comfortable. We're happy with that. But Jesus says, as he did to Mary, why are you weeping? It's me, Mary. It's me. On our, not our last trip to Israel, but a couple of years ago, I had to go back to do something. I can't remember what, and I'm going to meet our group, and I, I've got to walk through a... Um, uh, from uh, across the street, busy intersection, and there are people going both ways. And uh, as I get ready to, the, when the light changes, I'm going with a group of people. And I hear a young girl, I'm not sure how old she was, six, seven, eight years old, I'm not sure what, but, but I hear her calling out, Abba, Abba, Abba. Well, that, even though I'm deaf, it got my attention, right? I mean, when's the last time you heard, we know those words from the scripture. Abba, Abba means daddy, daddy, daddy. But when you hear it on the streets of Jerusalem, you turn around and see what's happening. So we made it across and I watched this Orthodox guy in his black gear and his black hat and his long beard and his flowing curls reach down and scoop up his girl. And it was really a great sight. And as I was thinking about this passage today, I remembered that episode and thought, I'd forgotten all about that. I don't even know if I've shared that with Bev. I, have I in the past? Yeah. And I, I, I just, I was thinking about, that's Jesus with Mary. Now he doesn't scoop her up because the next verse, he's, he says, stop clinging to me, Mary. Stop clinging to me, Mary. I think what he's saying there, Mary, this isn't about physical things. You've got, I'm, I'm resurrected. This is about spiritual stuff. So quit hanging on to me. You don't have to worry about me leaving again, Mary. And so his first words are words of comfort a hurting disciple. His second words are words of instruction. Words of instruction. Words of comfort followed by words of instruction once again to Mary. To Mary. He speaks to Mary and he says, uh, he says to her in verse 17, stop clinging to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to the disciples, go to the brothers and tell them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary, go and tell them I'm back. Go and tell him I'm alive. Mary, go back to the disciples and tell them you saw me. The grave is empty. Sin is defeated. That there's victory over death. Mary, you are the spokesman. You go and you tell. In fact, if you write in your Bible, circle those words in verse 17. Go and tell. Go and tell. Mary, here's what I'm going to give you a task to do. Go and tell. Go and tell. 
Well, she went to the disciples and guess what they did? Luke has a commentary on this. Mary goes to the disciples and what do they do? Here's what it says. These words appeared to them as nonsense. Nonsense. Mary, you've lost your mind. Mary, you're hallucinating. Mary, you're crazy. Dead men don't talk. Dead men don't walk. Dead men don't do that. Mary, you're crazy. And they wouldn't believe her. Didn't believe her. This is Luke chapter 24. Take a look at it. It's right there. It's, it's in the context of what we're seeing in John chapter 20. And so they look at her and say, Mary, dead men don't talk. You're crazy, Mary. You don't know what you're talking about. You're hallucinating. Mary, you had too much pepperoni pizza last night. Something's not right. Jesus' words to Mary were, go and tell. She went and told and they weren't received. They weren't received. Those words were not received by those who were closest to Jesus. Mary, you got to get a grip. Mary, you're imagining things. And they say, Mary, dead men don't talk. You're hallucinating. You're losing it, Mary, but don't miss the point. The Lord's instruction was to go and tell. Go and tell them the grave didn't hold me. Go and tell that hope exists. Go and tell them sin is defeated. Go and tell them the tomb is empty. Go and tell them the resurrection has happened. Mary, go and tell. His next instructions were to the disciples. The third time Christ spoke after his resurrection, he spoke to his disciples, verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciple, where the disciples were, because they feared the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. Now the doors are closed, they're in a room, and Jesus walks in through the walls. So what's his first word to them? Peace be with you, right? You bet they need to hear those words. I mean, imagine that somebody just walked through a wall and they're talking to you. So he says, it's okay, guys, be at peace. But notice his words after that. When he showed him his hands and his side, the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Mary, go and tell. To now the 10, because Thomas isn't there yet, and Judas is gone. To the 10, he says, go and tell. And then he breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit. And uh, so now they have the power to go out and go and tell. Then we fast forward to Matthew 28. It's some weeks later. And Jesus has gathered the disciples. And you know what's he te- what do you think he tells them? What, what are the two words he tells them? The two of the things he tells them when he speaks the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go and tell. Actually, it's go and teach. Go and tell. Those words reverberate down the corridors of time to us as well because the instruction is the same to Mary Magdalene to the disciples to his disciples to us go and tell we have the high privilege and the high responsibility to go and tell others that Jesus is alive that in him is the forgiveness of sin in him is eternal hope in him is eternal life. So I stand before you today and tell you that same thing. In Jesus, in Christ alone, he said, I am the way, truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. So we need to go and tell. It's a high privilege and a high responsibility. High privilege, high responsibility. As I've talked about evangelism in the past, I've told you evangelism, really, we complicate it in some ways. Evangelism is quite simple. Let me give you three words for evangelism. You ready? You got your devices, got your pen. Three ways to describe evangelism. This is the task of evangelism. Prayer, care, 
and share. That's evangelism. That's really all it is. Well, we make this big deal out of it. It's prayer. We pray for folks that don't know Jesus yet, right? Sure we do. Usually our prayer is this way. God, there are a lot of people out there that don't know you yet. I pray that you'll bring them to you. Nothing wrong with that prayer. When's the last time you name by name a specific person who doesn't know Christ? Over 30 years ago, a man named Charlie Casebold came to TBC. Kay is still here. She works with our college girls. She's, she's just a dear saint. Charlie challenged me. He said, Gary, you need a 10 most wanted list. The post office has an FBI 10 most wanted list. You need a 10 most wanted list. I said, what do you mean? 10 people that don't know Christ, and you start praying for them by name. That was over three decades ago. One of the great joys I have in life is seeing names scratched off of that list. Names of folks sitting in this room right now. Who have you prayed for specifically by name to the Savior for their salvation? Who is that? Prayer. Just praying. Caring. Caring. The holidays are coming. There are two things you can do to care for folks that may not know Christ or friends that may have walked away from him or not walking with him right now. Why don't you invite him to come to your table? Normally, we've got a bountiful feed, right, at Thanksgiving, so why don't you invite somebody that may be straying or somebody that doesn't know the Savior and say, hey, why don't you come and enjoy dinner with our family? Well, Pastor Gary, what if they don't fit in? What if they cuss in front of my kids? So? No, really, so? It's an opportunity to teach your kids, right? You're more concerned about that lost person's soul than your kid hearing one cuss word or two or three? Well, what if they want to smoke? Take them out back and let them smoke. And we've got a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. We've got a smoking section. I never dreamed of a smoking section in our church. There's a place for them in between or whenever they want to go out there to go take a smoke. And some people, I'm not going back to that church. I let people smoke. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to tell you, I'd rather see them smoke here rather than smoking in hell, right? And I'm not in favor of that. I don't smoke. I eat too much, but I don't smoke. <laughs> so their sin's a lot greater than my sin, right? <laughs> By the way, there's a bluebell out called birthday cake. If you find it, send me some. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've got a new favor. You can't find it anywhere. If you find it, you buy me some. I'll be glad to eat it for you. <laughs> you thought I was going to say pay you back. I'm not going to do that. Wedding cake, is that it? Wedding, birthday cake, it says birthday cake. It's a wedding cake? Bring them both. <laughs> bring them both. Bring it, baby, bring it. I'm a dying man, I gotta keep my bones, I gotta keep my whatever. Where the heck am I in this whole sermon? Where are we, where are we? I'm lost. Darren, where am I? Oh, I know where I am. I'm instruction disciples. Go and tell, right? Prayer, care, and cheer. That's what we're saying. So caring, we can open our homes. Here, here's another way you can care. Christmas time, everybody in America gets religious, right? Your colleagues get religious, your neighbors get religious, everybody gets religious. I guarantee you can invite them to TBC on a Sunday, they're not going to be offended, but they'll hear the truth. They'll hear the truth. They might be offended, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But we want them to hear the truth of God. So why don't you invite, when's the last time you invited somebody to just come to church with you? One of your neighbors, one of your colleagues, one of the parents of kids who play soccer with your kids or basketball, whatever it is. Great opportunity over the holidays. 
prayer, care, and then share. That's, that's when you've got a right to speak the truth of the gospel, right? So Christ's first words, um, words of comfort to Mary, then words of instruction to Mary, then words of instruction to the disciples, and then he speaks a fourth time from the cross, and he speaks to a guy named Thomas. Uh, we've talked about Thomas many times, touting. Uh, Thomas has got a first name. What's his first name? Doubting. You're going to get to heaven, you're going to say, oh, you're Doubting Thomas. That poor guy, all of eternity is going to have a first name called Doubting. Okay, you're going to walk up to him one year, I'm going to walk up to him a hundred years later, somebody else a thousand years later, he's hung with a name. It, but you know how it was. Thomas comes to Jesus in verse 25, and he says, uh, I've been duped once. He said he was not there at that initial meeting, and he says, unless I can see his hands, the, the imprint of nails, and put my finger in the place of those nails and put my hand aside, I'm not going to believe. That's the end of verse 25. Verse 26, eight days later, Jesus walks through a wall again, and he begins by saying, peace be with you. They needed peace because the man just walked through a wall. And then he looks at Thomas specifically, and he says, here, Thomas, reach your finger, see my hands, reach your, reach your hand, put them in my side, be not, un, be not unbelieving, but believe. And so Thomas stands for every one of you who's a skeptic out there, who's a doubter out there. Jesus didn't reject Thomas. Jesus accepted Thomas and said, Thomas, I'll prove to you I am who I am. I'll prove to you, Thomas, come and touch it. And for those of us that could not be in the upper room, those of us who are like Thomas from Missouri, the show me state, you've got to show me to believe, Thomas stands for us. And so Thomas looks at him and he cries out in verse 28, my Lord and my God. When he saw who Jesus was, he bowed before him. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen him, you believed? Because you've seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. That's us. That's us. Thomas is our great, 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 great grandfather who was in the upper room and we couldn't be there. And we can look at him and say, when he cries out, my Lord, my God, in that next verse, or in that previous verse, he was one of us. For 39 weeks, we have preached the gospel of John. We've got one more week to go. Two weeks from now, I'll be back up here preaching about John being reestablished by Jesus. And the reason we've preached this over and over and over again is because of verses 30 and 31. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's the hope of the resurrection. Because Jesus is alive, everything changed. And today, he's calling you. He's calling you to seek him for forgiveness. In him is the only hope we have for eternal life. He's calling you in your pain and your hurt and says, come to me and I'll comfort you. And he turns to you and says, you've been comforted. Now you go and you tell.